You were listening to an episode of This is Freedom that, frankly, I'm a little worried about putting out. There are a lot of things that uh, I could say or do that would make me more of a target. Uh, Many of those things would be well-deserved, which is why we have laws and common sense. Uh, This, however, is something that I'm doing because I believe it is an act of good. I have invited on a friend who I know through another friend. We got to talking about uh, many things, and this friend brought up the fact that the place of employment that this person was working at was hacked. In order to agree to do this, my friend did ask that we uh, run the voice through some modulation, So it's not going to be the most pleasant thing to listen to, but it's that or nothing. So I am sorry about that. It was a very interesting story, and I was really happy to be able to share it. I was really happy to be able to hear it, and I am happy to be able to share it, um, but it does worry me because what if uh, there's retaliation on my end? Well, shoot. It's going to happen anyways, isn't it? The people who do bad in this world are going to do bad. But when the people who do good in this world are afraid to do their part, then that's when you know the bad guys won. So the first thing that I want to do is I want to hear the story of your day. I Here's what I'm pretty sure happened. I'm pretty sure you went to sleep. And then I'm pretty sure you woke up. And am I, am I right so far? Yeah, yes, well, actually, I was woken up. Okay. Why don't we take it from there? Yeah, it was on a Monday. I guess this happened over a weekend. So um, I get up in the morning, like my r- routine, I wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. So I woke up, I look at my phone, and I see my phone's absolutely lit up with emails and uh, text messages from the senior guys that work at my company. And my manager saying to like get to the office as soon as I can. We've been hacked, so um, I panic. I I call back. I don't I don't just avoid it and I say I'm going to drive. I actually pick up the phone and call my coworker. I work. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, we've been hacked. Just get over here. He hangs up. So yeah, uh, and then I get in my car, I drive there. Everybody's just standing still. The entire company's at a halt. Um, all the customer service department, the manufacturing, because I work for a manufacturer. The manufacturer is all halted. Um, and this is something I used to tell my friend is that uh, at work, I used to tell him, if IT goes down, this entire company's done. But he used to argue with me that it's like, no, if manufacturing goes down, then it doesn't matter. IT doesn't matter. And we always had this back and forth. But And I, ex- that exact thing happened. IT got IT went down, and the entire company halted. And we were uh, because we were manufacturing, we work pretty much by product basis. Like we got to pump out product. If we're not pumping out, we're losing money, right? We've got to pay employees and stuff. So I go there. Everybody's standing still. So the the VP and the the CFO they're all standing in IT trying to figure out how to come right back up. And we didn't know the extent of it in that early in the morning, but we realized that every single one of our servers had been encrypted and we couldn't do anything. We went into it and it just looked like gibberish. And um, just, we were, everyone's talking. I'm like going into the servers, looking at all the servers, trying to figure it out. And yeah, nothing is the way it should have been. I don't know if you want me to keep going, but 
Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. If there's more to the story, we definitely want to get through the whole thing. Yeah, um, what happened was that um, every single server was encrypted, and we run virtual in a virtual environment, and we have a few physical servers, but most of our servers that, uh, for lack of a better word, serve our file system, our, our um, SQLs, our databases, and whatever, our virus server, our backup server, all that stuff is a virtual environment. So whoever got in uh, knew exactly what to look for. So the first thing they did was they went in and they deleted all our backups. Because the whole problem was IT. Like it was all our fault. Um, we kept our backups in-house, where our backups have to be off-site. So what they did was they deleted our backup, uh, encrypted that backup server, and then um, they started uh, encrypting all the other servers. So they knew that once they deleted our backups, all the other encrypted servers can't be restored because that's where the backups were. And it's funny because if just about a week before that, the senior administrator at my company recommended that we should move our backups offsite. And he was actually in the process of doing that. So in the process of doing that, the only server that he tested with offsite was our ERP. We run a software called Microsoft Dynamics, and that server luckily was backed up offsite, and we were able to restore it because um, every every day I take a set of tapes home. So the only things that we had offsite were just our databases for the previous night. Okay, let me just stop for one second there. Uh, I got to ask this question. I'm sorry that I have to ask it, but I got to ask it. So when you say tape, uh, I'm picturing uh, a tape. Is it a slang term or are we actually talking no, about a physical tape? It's actually a tape. It's an LTO device, they call it. And they hold up anywhere between 600 gigs to like terabytes. You can go to the latest technology and each tape holds up maybe like two, three terabytes of worth of data. Um, the, the purpose of the tapes is that you take them home every night in case the company burns down. If you have a fire, at least you have all your data. It'll take you probably like a month to come back online, but at least you can come back online versus if you didn't have anything. Like if, if we didn't have those tapes, we could have built our ERP servers back up, but we would have had no data for all the sales orders, all the accounting stuff, none of that. So we got lucky because we were able to get that server back up. So at least the, the sales department and the customer service department could come back online. But even then it was useless because our engineering department, which was one of our biggest important ones, we had no backup. And it, that really burnt us because um, we were supposed to, and for some reason they weren't backing up to tape. And our, our VPs were just like livid. I'm surprised we didn't get fired. And I think, I think if our company hadn't signed the cybersecurity insurance about a month before, which they did luckily, we would have lost it. Like the entire IT department would have been like rebuilt. But um, yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. And I don't know if you stop me at any time if you have any questions, but I can keep going. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I've been taking notes as I was listening to this. Obviously, I'm nowhere near the expert on the subject as you are. Uh, I did want to just make sure that we got through the core of the story so that we can base the discussion off of that. Yeah, that's pretty much the base of like how what happened. Now, I can get into detail about how it happened and why it happened and that stuff, but 
maybe we can, we can you can ask me your questions or anything you want. At this point, that's definitely the next thing that I want to okay. hear about how it, how it happened. So by all means, let's get into it. Yeah. So based on the ways, uh, based on the things we found afterwards, um, well, not afterwards, during this whole process of trying to bring the company back online, is that um, they were in our system for a while. Like, they were just, they were sitting in there, moving around, looking at things, seeing where our backups go. That's why they knew where our backup server was and how to, like, get into it. Um, we had our firewall. The, the way our firewall was set up was very, like, out-of-the-box kind of. We hadn't done much to it in terms of blocking most common ports that are that everyone hits. But every hacker would hit these ports, and if they get in, they're like, okay, this guy didn't change the default port, and now I'm in. And there's this thing called brute force attack, which is where someone will constantly hit something over and over again until it finally hits home. Like, if they catch the default port, or they try, like, a million different numbers, eventually the port will hit, and they'll get it they'll get a ping. Um, it's the same idea for passwords. It's a brute force uh, software where they hit you with every single possible passwords in seconds, like thousands of passwords in every second, and eventually one will hit, especially if you don't have a very uh, complex password. That level of processing power might be hard for a lot of people to comprehend. Uh, I realize there is a threshold for technological understanding oh, yeah. because one is listening to a podcast right now. So congratulations. Um, one way that I'm picturing it in my head as you're describing it is an episode of Justice League where Batman is trapped in a cell with a digital lock and it's a nine-digit keypad. And the Flash is the one that tries to break him out. So he is physically trying to do every single password as quickly yeah, as possible. Yeah, yeah. So, Well, just to give you an idea, it's um, I don't know if you've heard of... Um, uh, What's it? What's the Windows encryption? BitLocker. Uh, BitLocker is the Windows. I've only encryption. heard of it like a little bit. Yeah, it's it's you can literally go on your computer and just go into your C drive, right click on it, and go uh, turn on BitLocker. So what that does is it encrypts your hard drive, so no one can pull, steal your laptop, for example, and take out your hard drive and stick it into another, and turn it on. BitLocker is a massive, well, not massive. It's a really long set of numbers and letters, which is really hard to decrypt when BitLocker came out. So BitLocker can now be decrypted with a quantum computer in seconds. With a really high performance computer and enough resources within weeks. So this is BitLocker was something that was supposed to take years to decrypt and now you can just hit it over and over again for maybe like two, three weeks and you can get in. And um, they, they said to us that your password shouldn't be um, any shorter than eight characters with uh, complex like at signs and symbols and things like that. But now we found out that even that takes about maybe two days now to, uh, to decrypt. So in terms of complexity, if, if quantum computers ever become mass-produced, encryption and security is going to be a massive problem because if you can hack a BitLocker uh, key in seconds with quantum computer, then... I guess you need a quantum computer to stop the, the attack. Um, but anyway, getting back to it. So um, what, what we did was we had a lot of, uh, we have a lot of people working offsite for us. So what they do is they remote into our servers from outside to help us with our manufacturing problems or at least any updates that the company who developed 
our machinery in the back needs to fix. So what we did was we left some ports open on the firewall. And so because this is one of the few things that I understand about IT, I'm just going to explain what a remote process is. So imagine being able to access somebody else's computer while on a different computer. So I could remote into Chuck's computer right now and I could operate as if I was there physically, but uh, I'm nowhere near his computer and I just gave away his gender. I don't know why I thought I was going to stick to that for the whole episode. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we would give them remote access. So, well, I mean, once you give someone remote access in a domain environment, which is a Windows domain system, uh, I won't get into the details of that, but any company you go to, they give you a username and password. That username and password sits on a domain. So for the remote user, we would create, um, we would either give them the default username and password of that server, or we would create them a user account and tell them once you remote in to this IP address, using, using this IP address, you're going to get a pop-up for username and password, and this is yours. Um, but that's the, a big no-no. You do not do that. I mean, um, you create VPN tunnels, virtual private network tunnels, where we create at work, where people can VPN in. Um, you don't ever open up your firewall for any reason. That's what the purpose of a firewall is, is to lock you down and not to open it up. So yeah, uh, that was, I think, so that what happened was that I think that's what happened. Uh, we opened up too many ports, we got a little bit lazy. And uh, we got hit, and we thought we were too small of a company to get hit, but then we found out later that it's the small companies that get hit, not the big ones, because the big ones are usually secure. The little ones are the ones who get lazy and leave things running. Uh, I'm wondering if this at all has anything to do with uh, burnout on an individual basis, because um, having worked for smaller companies myself, each individual person is expected to pull their weight more and there is more accountability because there's only so many people that we can trace each action to versus a big company where there are a lot of people there and so if somebody shows up and they only do 96 percent that day as opposed to 99 percent, i think it's more noticeable right i mean we this is a company that's been around for since the 50s now after i'd say they implemented an actual it department maybe about 20 years ago and within that entire time span, not a single attack, not a single virus. So eventually the IT department gets lazy. They're like, okay, no one's ever going to try to hit us. And you wake up one morning and there you go. Where this, uh, see, the thing is where this affects me on a psychological level is that feeling of futility where it's like every time I cross the street, I'm looking both ways so that I don't get hit by a truck. And I got to do this over and over and over and over again. And even though I might do I might do my part, someone who's not doing their part might end up running me down. So I'm just left with the sense of, well, you know, we're all gonna kick the bucket in one way or another. And and I guess I I, I just worry that the same thing is gonna happen uh, here. So I've you know been entertained the idea of getting uh, ExpressVPN upon releasing this episode just to cover my bases, but it's that same thing. So what if I get this? And I start looking both ways online, and then one of these days, it's just going to happen anyways. Does this feeling seem familiar to you, or is it something that maybe you've felt 
more now having gone through this? Well, for me, my position at this company is not really security. I'm on the server side. So the, the person who took the, the most of the hit was the senior network administrator there. Um, but again, it, you know, honestly, I don't think it's even his fault. What happened was lack of management communication because we're a small company. Uh, we're not an IT company. So IT to the people who don't understand the importance of IT in that company is just an expense. When we tell them it costs $10,000 a year to have your backups offsite, they're like, what? $10,000 a year? No way. Get out of here. Just find a different way. They blew us off. I can tell you now that every single thing that we've suggested ever ever since we got hacked has been greenlit, greenlit right away because they understood now that if we weren't there, if they gave us what we needed to begin with, this wouldn't have happened. Because casually through the conversations, we've always said, oh, you know, our security is not that good. We should have our off back, backups off-site. Off-site backups are really expensive. So we as the IT department knew that these kinds of conversations can only be had in casual conversations. Because uh, that's the only time they would listen to us if we actually went into their office, like VP's office, and sat down and said, okay, we need this now, $10,000, let's go, green light it. They would say no. You're speaking of the truck getting hit by a truck reference. That week was a big hit for us. Like we took, I didn't sleep. We got hit by a truck big time. So did you find out anything about uh, who did this to you? Are they just cyber terrorists? Or did they just cause havoc? Were they... Maybe hired by a competitor. I don't. Yeah, that's that actually an interesting story. That's probably the most interesting part of this whole thing. Is that? Excellent. Let's go for it. Yeah, we got. So what happened was we hired um, a security company that uh, was recommended to us actually by uh, someone in BlackBerry. Um, so if you know now that BlackBerry is very heavy into security now, so we trusted them. So when they referred this company to us, we said, "Yeah, let's go." So. They sent in these people with us and what basically they did, and this was their job, and this is what all they did, is they negotiated with cyber attackers. So they were negotiators. Um, they would come in and you would give them all the information because the reason why we had some information to give them was that every server that was encrypted had a pop-up that said, if you want this server decrypted, you have to send 10 or like 20 bitcoins or something actually no wait it was one bitcoin per server and at the time one bitcoin was eleven thousand dollars so we had 44 servers encrypted so that pop-up had an actual phone number where you could call and talk to these people so we didn't do anything we held back we gave it to this company the company acted as the middleman for us and they talked to them they came back to us and they said these people are in Russia and they are so big and they are so like they do this so often that they actually have a customer service department <laughs> like as ridiculous as that sounds so they've been talking to an agent of theirs just someone on a phone sitting behind a computer taking deals and money from people and he, he, the guy said that while he was talking to this person he could hear the call center in the background they did the negotiation for us, and what they did was that this company, I'm referring to them as a company, but these attackers were actually dealing in the dark web. I don't, I don't know how much you know about the dark web. 
I know what it's capable of, but I've never been on it myself, nor do I want to. Oh, you won't be able to get on it, because the only way to get on the dark web is by invite of someone who's already on the dark web. Like, you can't just go and Google dark web and find your way in. It, it operates on a totally different network. Um, so, this company that uh, we, we hired to do the negotiation for us, they had access to the dark web. Um, they got on there, and they started, like, researching our company and looking at what was going on on the dark web before we got hit. And they actually came across stuff. There was uh, chatter going around online on the dark web. And this company that hacked us actually is like a mafia in, in Russia. So what they did was a, a week prior to attacking us, this company had actually um, eliminated their competition in somewhere in Russia. And when I say eliminated, I mean literally by guns. Like they went blazing into their office and shot everybody and took over their territory. <laughs> no exaggeration. That might be the most insane thing yeah, I've ever heard I in know. my life. I'm, I'm like, really? Yeah, we were dealing with these kinds of people. Like, when they told us that, the entire room was silent. We're like, we don't want to mess with these people. So, I, I'm, I'm doing yeah. minds of this because on the one <laughs> hand, you know, the person I'm listening to this and I think this is insane. But as a producer, I'm thinking, this is insane. This is such good content. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So they were dealing with us. Um, this company that we hired, the middleman, and. We kept saying, oh, uh, we don't, we don't want to give this. They negotiated the price down to like, okay, um, we don't want 44 ser servers decrypted. We want this many servers decrypted. But when we lowered, because they, they were assuming that we're going to want all 44 servers de decrypted. We didn't need all the servers decrypted because a lot of them we could just rebuild from scratch and be fine. We wanted the ones that were affecting our production mostly. Um, so, and I think that ended up totaling to like 10 servers that we wanted decrypted no 10 or 10 or 15 some, something around there and um and the price of you know how bitcoins work every day the price is different so we were trying to negotiate quick i mean the, the price of bitcoin fluctuates so uh on the one hand i'm thinking yeah. you know one time you just wait for the value of bitcoin to decrease dramatically but on the other hand i'm thinking i have no idea what i'm talking about yeah, well, I mean, we didn't know. Like uh, during this whole time we were dealing with them, actually, Bitcoin was going up. I think by the time, at first when they initiated the, the hack and we knew they wanted Bitcoin, we looked it up and it was eleven thousand. By the time we wanted to like settle, I think it came down to like fourteen thousand. So we weren't we were actually losing. Um, and the reason why they wanted Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is untraceable, right? Um, I could, I, you could probably do an episode on Bitcoin alone, just the way Bitcoin works, with the whole ledger and the way. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's worthy of its own show, of which there's probably several. Um, the, the part that I have had a hard time understanding with Bitcoin, not that we want to get into it, is just that compared to, say, the gold standard, uh, we know that gold has value because it's used for jewelry, it's used as a conductor, so it has value in uh, the electronics and in, in, in technology. I mean, that's that's all I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't even pretend to. Like, I've researched it and I looked it up for it and I always forget. It's very complicated. And the reason why they want most hackers deal with Bitcoin is that it's untraceable. Once you pay in Bitcoin, the person can move that coin around in different ledgers on online that you would lose eventually who withdrew it at the end. So we eventually negotiated down to like 10 servers, 10, 15 servers, and... 
we decided to pay, and luckily, um, we had the cybersecurity insurance that covered it. Um, but the cybersecurity insurance didn't cover the amount of time that we lost the company working. So that you can imagine all these companies who were waiting for their product that we produce, and they're just waiting on it, they're just waiting on it, they're getting fed up. They might actually cancel their contract with us. We end up losing thousands of, well, hundreds of thousands of dollars there, and so on and so on. Uh, we had to send people home without pay. We're like, there's no job. So our employees were getting pissed. So although we had cybersecurity insurance to cover the cost of the, the decryption, we didn't have security uh, insurance to cover the other side of stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is all just just all amazing stuff so far. So we we we've got uh, who 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 done it. We got the damages. Um, at least. We got some sense of the damages. There's a lot that we don't necessarily put into the books, but still uh, are, are affecting people uh, financially. So the next thing that I'm wondering about is if you can elaborate on any of the post-attack measures that were taken. I know that they're going to be easier to implement because the company has seen firsthand what these um, attackers are capable of. But what has the company been doing to be more prepared for this? in the future. God forbid it happens again, but you know. The reason why um, we're working here with some anonymity is that um, a lot of times um, if, it, if one attacker is successful and they get in and word gets out and another attacker might try again because be like, well, if someone was able to do it, maybe I can do it again because just because they went through that doesn't necessarily mean now they're going to do every single thing right. You know, so, and since that incident with us, it's been a constant echo up to this day. And it's been, I think it's been over like two years now, I think, that this happened. And um, every single day, it's been still there. Like, we're still constantly working on security there. And recently, actually, we've taken further steps that we can get into. Um, very interesting stuff that's happening right now in my company. Um, but ever since this happened from that, uh, once we were already decrypted and things came back up, um, oh, and I should mention that a few, of the, a few of the servers that we actually got the decryption code for and we ran ended up being worthless because uh, what happens when you decrypt, sorry, what happens when you encrypt something while it's running well, the server's actually active and there's read and writes going on and you encrypt it during that time, a lot of stuff gets corrupted. So once we decrypted some of the servers, a lot of the stuff was corrupted and it was unusable. So we took some damage there. Um, so uh, our firewall, we brought in firewall experts to sit down with us to tell us like what uh, we should do in terms of like, here, here's the layout of our firewall. Go, tell us everything you would change. Um, we had people try to attack us from the outside. Like we hired people to attack us from the outside to get in. And sure enough, they got in and they told us how they got in. Oh, well, that's interesting. That's probably a pretty cool job to have. Yeah, yeah there's actually companies that you pay to, that's all they do. They, they only deal with um, this thing called pen testing. Pen testing is penetrating te penetration testing. So what they'll do is first they'll try to attack you as if they're actual cyber attackers. They'll try to find your... They'll, they'll even send emails to regular emails that spoof uh, your company's emails. So we get like 
every single day we get hundreds of emails, and these are legit emails, of spoofed emails where an outsider will copy a signature of somebody, will find the VP of the company and send out an email to one of the low-level guys in the company, like let's say a customer service guy, and be like, oh, I need this thing, so-and-so done. Can you do it for me? And this person, not knowing any better, sees the signature, doesn't roll the mouse over a link in the email because a lot of times when an email is um, fake, if you just roll your mouse over the links within that email, you'll see a pop-up of just, just gobbledygook, just nonsense address. And that's a sure thing that it's it's fake. So anyway. Oh, I, I've, I've seen those. I've dealt with those. It's like an Apple receipt, even though I haven't bought a song in years. Yeah. And it just, yeah, if you look at the, the, the right. source of the address, the email is gibberish. And 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 I remember uh, the the story of um, quick story me in uh, background acting, which I can't wait to go back to. Um, a friend of mine is he he gets this email, and the look on his face he is petrified because he thinks he's gonna have to owe hundreds of dollars. And I and I casually lean over and I look at the email and I say, yeah, it's fake. He's like, what? Yeah. And keep in mind, he he's he's learning English, so he's not just learning the language; he's learning the nuances of our culture as well. And so I said, yeah, no, just look at the email. It's just a bunch of gobbledygook, right. and and that's one instance of this. So you have to imagine that there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of these mm-hmm. emails being sent, and there are just enough people out there that might fall for it, that makes it worth doing. Um, and it's almost like growing pains that you pretty much have to experience this before you understand the importance of being tech savvy. Yeah, I, I, I remember something happened to like my parents and stuff. So they're like, they see an email and they're like, oh my God, my thing's been hacked. And I just look at it and like, no, that's fake. But yeah, getting back to it, I this thing called pen, pen testing, penetration testing is um, you hire, pay someone to do, to do what a hacker would do. And, um, what this company did for us was they hacked us from the outside. Well, they didn't hack us. They, they got inside and they told us how they got inside. So once we resolved how to stop traffic from coming, unwanted traffic from coming inside, we were good there. Then what they do is they do physical pen testing and physical pen testing is actually a very interesting thing. There's a lot of, not a lot. There's a few Ted talks that I've come across where this woman who is not an IT guy, not an IT person at all. She just knows how to talk. What she does is her job for a security company is she calls a company and pretends to be someone legitimate from the company or coming to work for the company and gets into these people's offices. Um, There's an interesting story where this woman actually went into a company, a really, really big financial institution in, in Amsterdam, and actually got up to the top floor, passed all the security, and they gave her her own office and her own laptop to sit and t- sit and work for the day. And she was completely there. She had access to everything. She had access to the network ports on the wall, which is a totally different story that if you have a device, you can plug into the network port of the building and boom, you're in. Um, that's her job. She just does that. And we actually had that happen to us. It's this penetration company, um, what they, the first thing that they did was they started throwing around little USB devices little USB keys around the building. Just people would find these random USB keys and be like, oh, I wonder what this is. And they would plug it into a computer. <laughs> yeah. And the people do that. And, and you know what? 
uh, our employees didn't know any better, and some of them actually plugged them in. And every time they plugged it in, they would get a pop-up, and pop-up would close instantly, and they'd be like, what the hell? So then they would call IT. And they'd be like, okay, whenever you see a USB lying around, don't just plug it in. So another measure of security is that you implement um, policies in your company, and I mean like uh, computer domain network policies that get pushed out automatically that disable all USB ports on every single computer. It's like someone in manufacturing that... So uh, to me, that sounds like you're describing a uh, procedure. No, when I say policy, when I say policy, I mean it's actually called policy in Windows. It's a group. It's it's called a group policy. Oh, okay, okay, I see. In Windows domain, uh, what you do is you have all these group policies that control every single granular aspect of a Windows machine. Like I could set your, I could do anything from setting your wallpaper all the way to the most. Um, like I can. I can make it. I can make sure that you cannot run Internet Explorer and you can only run Chrome based on group policy. That you can do with group policy. You can disable all USB ports, which is something that we're looking at based on what happened with these people plugging in USBs. Okay, I've got a question for you, and just so you know, I, I'm partially kidding when I ask this, but was there any uh, option to hire like uh, counter hackers or ca- uh, counter attackers to uh, go after these? These uh, <laughs> these these, um, these Russians. You know what? Uh, I think the company that we hired—that's kind of also their job—that they deal with uh, RCMP and FBI in these cases. So once, <laughs> once, uh, once they figure out who it is and everything, they they report it to the higher ups in the government. So, so they're aware of what's happening. Yeah, but we 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 would not we're not anywhere big enough or ballsy enough to do something like that. Yeah, so, and the other um, aspect of pen testing is exactly what I told you that woman did, where she went into a company. So, they have, you know what a Raspberry Pi is? Yeah, yeah, it's like a, it's a miniature computer. Okay, so it's a small computer. It's a very minimal, like, basic computer that you can put anything on. You can put Windows on, you can put Linux on, you can put any sort of operating system. You can make it do whatever you want it to do. You can even make a remote control car out of it. So... A lot of these companies, pen testing companies, what they do, or actually hackers, what they'll do is they'll take a Raspberry Pi and they'll install a specific flavor of Linux on these Raspberry Pis. And what they'll do is they'll access, they'll gain access to your company, like physically, they'll get past security and they'll get into an office. They'll look for an open port on the wall and they'll plug this thing in. And what, what it'll do is it'll just run havoc into your network. It will go out sniff out all the open stuff, try to get into passwords, try to get into this, this and that. So this company tried to do this with us, the one that we hired. We hired them to do this, and now I'm telling you that I was aware of this, but when it was happening, I wasn't aware of this. We, once the report was done, once the pen, pen testing was completed, they told us that, oh, we ran a pen test on your company. Um, while it was happening, I wasn't aware of, at all. So... Based on the security measures that we put in place after this whole incident, this pen testing company actually had a hard time because um, they actually got physical access to our uh, our offices. There's, they sent a guy in. He literally tried every single door that he could get into. He eventually found an open one and got inside of our engineering department. And he went into the boardroom of the engineering department and sat there. He's with a suit and a tie. And then all the engineers were walking by and they didn't think anything of it. They thought that this guy's here for a meeting with one of the managers or something and nothing. And that guy that got into the boardroom, what he did was he actually stole 
the computer that was sitting in that office. He took it home with him. <laughs> and he plugged in his uh, Raspberry Pi. But we had security measures that you can't unplug a device and plug in a new device. And if you do that, you will not get an IP address. And they were smart enough that they knew that this was happening, so they worked their way around. They went back, came back, and actually hacked us. I can get very granular in detail about how they did that as well, if you like. Do you want me to? Mm. Yeah, okay, yeah, I, yeah. I'll run through it really quickly. I'm not really sure why I was uh, <laughs> hemming and hawing. I mean, the whole point of putting this podcast together was to <laughs> well, I can tell you what this happens. kind of information. So uh, if you could just disregard me being a terrible <laughs> producer and go right ahead. Okay, so... I'll, I won't get to, I won't drag it on for too long. But so what happens was that uh, if you have a Cisco, um, Cisco switch, uh, how do I, so if for, for the average listener, if you look at your, the modem that Rogers gives you, for example, it's got all these little ports in the back. That's a basic modem. That's a basic switch. A switch is when you can plug in multiple devices and that switch would give you an IP address. That's how you can communicate to other computers within the same network. So in a, in a company, in a big building, you usually don't have those tiny little ones. You have bigger devices, thousands of dollars each one. And what they do is that when you plug stuff in, they give you an IP address. But then every time you plug something in, that switch, that the port that you plug into also requires information from that device that got plugged into it, meaning that it requires your MAC address of your computer. So be like, okay, so this is your MAC address, here's an IP address for this device with that MAC address. So it works. Uh, an IP address will work hand-to-hand with the, Mac ad- with the computer's MAC address. So what we did was, uh, in order to make sure that people don't unplug their computer and bring in their own device and plug it into that same port, was that we said that every time someone plugs in a device for the first time, that MAC address gets burnt into that port. So now, if you unplug, unplug another device in with a different MAC address, the switch will be like, oh, that's not the MAC address that I'm assigned to give IP to? Denied. We did that on all our ports. So when this company came in to plug in their own device, they realized that they're not getting an IP address. They're not getting in. And obviously they do this for a living and they knew exactly what we were doing. So what they did was that the device that was plugged into it, they stole it, they took it home, they found its MAC address, and they, what they did was that they copied that MAC address and spoofed it into their own device. So now that device had the same MAC address as, as the same computer that we had. So they came back the next day and plugged in their device now with, the, with our MAC address. And th- there you go. They got in. I see. Uh, you were able to slow them down, but you couldn't hold them off forever. Yeah, it slowed it down. And they, they kind of praised us for doing that because they said not a lot of people do that. But we, we were still able to get work our way around it now. The next thing we thought about, because this happened, was that there's another um, feature of these switches that we have at my company is that not only can we say a specific IP can only go to a specific MAC address, but we can also say that if a new MAC address plugs in, if someone comes in and plugs in a new device and the MAC address is not the one that we assigned, that port will shut down. So then all of a sudden that port doesn't work anymore. If we had done that, the pen testing will fail. They would come and be like, okay, we plugged in our device. Oh, shoot, it didn't work. I'll come back the next day. And they would have come back and realized that port got shut down because of what they did the day before. 
So now that's what we're implementing on all our switches, that it's like if you plug in a different MAC address, that port will shut down. And then if the computer stops working, someone's going to call us and be like, hey, this computer isn't working. Then we'd, we'd go look. You know, it's a gradual process, one step at a time. And, and there's a lot of difficulty here to just get a full scope of what this means for a company. Because it's, for one, you can't just uh, invest some money into it and assume that it's going to work uh, forever. Um, the uh, attackers are constantly developing new technology. And you also realize that you have to continue to spend money, otherwise the money you did spend right. could go to waste. Right. I mean, um, this this whole process, I mean, this, this can't happen to us again. If we get hacked again the way we did before, I can guarantee you the entire IT department will be let go. But we are taking every single measure. Like, I mean, they we've hired very, like, you know, I don't want to name the companies, but we've hired some really good companies to come and pen test us. And, you know, by the time, after this is done, we'll be pretty solid. Um, but I, I can tell you, there's a reason why IT departments get lazy, because if you want to be super secure, it is absolutely tedious work every day. Like, um, I can just imagine, like, at a, at a government office, like, let's say, for example, the FBI or the RCMP, they probably have to change their password on a daily basis. And if they're not doing that, then the IT department's slacking. Because uh, we have a policy on our company, it's like, again, a group policy where everybody's password expires after 90 days. Um, that's not enough. It should be, honestly, if you want it to be fully solid, it should be every day. But nobody operates that way. You just make too much work for people. The, the thing that I... I uh, find amazing, and and I don't want you know futility to become a recurring element of all things, but it, the um, amount of uh, resources and energy that have to be put into uh, stopping someone else from uh, doing harm, um, it, it can be really discouraging on uh, on a, on a deep emotional level because these are other human beings that are getting in the way of someone else's ability to make a living for themselves and and succeed and to uh, create something that helps other people. I can imagine someone who is a hacker is probably having a lot more fun than someone who's trying to stop it. Because in order to stop it, it takes like tedious work. In order to hack it, it takes like really fun, interesting things to do. But I don't know if you know, but I'm actually trying to come out of IT because, because of this reason exactly. Because um, you're always once, the IT is, IT is always going to be one step behind the hackers. It's always a hack comes out, or a virus comes out, and then every single uh, virus scanner catches up. You can't prevent what you don't know, right? If someone develops all, because for example, recently Intel Intel's uh, i series CPUs were released that they all have a security flaw, every single one since the beginning of Intel, and um, it's it's not an actual software fix; it's a hardware fix. So Intel is not going to recall every single. CPU, all they can do is now come out with ones that uh, are, don't have that specific flaw. But who knows? In like five years from now, I'll be like, oh, these ones also have another security flaw. So that's why IT departments are always going to be one step behind these guys. I and mean, one thing that I 
uh, want to comment on is that well okay sure they they get to be more creative trying to figure mm-hmm. out uh, different ways in uh, the downside is that their fellow um, criminals might come to their office and gun them down so I think there's a little bit of a risk reward there going on yeah. I mean well if you're doing it in Russia sure, I mean yeah. you know it's not the only dangerous country in the world but they certainly have a very unique composition there which uh, I'm not sure I would want to see repeated. Uh, Time-wise, we're we're doing pretty good, and uh, as far uh, and I'm looking at my notes, and we've pretty much covered everything, uh, and then some. So um, this is the question that I'd love to get your opinion on, which is the uh, the state's role in all of this. Not the United States, I just mean a state as in the government, because I kind of prefer the term state over government. So l- let's consider the fact that this one of the state's key roles is the safety of their citizens. Uh, I would think that. Uh, cyber safety is a huge element of that, if for no other reason than to preserve people's livelihoods so that the state can continue mm-hmm. to tax them and the cycle continues. So I don't know if if, uh, if you've got uh, anything that you want to uh, say to this particular subject, but it certainly came up as we were talking. No, no, no. I, I, have, a ba- I have a basic answer for this question. Um, I mean, in terms of this happening with the company that did it to us, which was in Russia, Canada is pretty much sided with the U.S. on any sort of sanctions that it, it imposes on Russia, right? So the most that the government can do is sanctions. You really can't do much when you live in a country like Canada that is so liberal and so open, where internet is a right almost versus you know um, somewhere like a Middle Eastern countries where they actually block every single specific IP address of um, like WhatsApp, for example, uh, Facebook, for example, Instagram. Canada doesn't do anything like that. So we're wide open to the entire world. If someone is going to hack us and we find out it's Russia, the most that the company can do is report and hope that the government takes action. But if you're getting hacked and you're not a massive company, let's say, they, for example, they did this to Chrysler in Canada, or they did this to like every single hospital, you can bitch your ass that they're going to impose some sort of sanction and be like, listen, Russia, you either crack down on these hackers in your country, or we're going to impose sanctions on, on you. Um, but we're too small for that. Um, and I'm guessing they, they're only hitting small companies. And... I don't really have a good answer for this other than sanctions. Sanctions is the best you can do. What else? What else can they really do? You know. Right. You know. Um. I'll, I'll call it uh, wishful thinking that uh, covertly there are uh, military organizations uh, that are in these countries and they're trying to figure out how to uh, take these people down. Uh, swiftly, silently, and then get out of there. Uh, but like I said, it, it's wishful thinking, and it's the kind of thing where if it's happening, it's not something that we would find out until uh, decades later, if that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You wouldn't hear about all the stuff that's going on on the dark web. I mean, these companies that hack, they usually hack companies that have a small IT department, or the IT department is not the big, their major priority. I mean, they're not going to hire. They're not going to attack BlackBerry, for example. Because BlackBerry is a cybersecurity company. If they hire BlackBerry, BlackBerry might actually retaliate, right? And they're fully capable of doing something like that. So, yeah, who knows? Who knows what, what's going on back and forth? 
So the uh, one question that uh, I, I should have touched on uh, sooner, um, but we'll we'll make sure that we didn't miss it, was in the span of how long it took for the customer service and the customer facing sites to get back up and running. Um, can you elaborate any more on the interactions? Is how much it actually impacted uh, customers directly? Obviously, you don't want to give away too much because then we would know what your business is. What happened was, I think. In, in total, we were down just like a full seven day. And this is when I say full seven day, we were like at the office every like 24 hours a day trying to get everything back up. So how the company dealt with uh, customers was just paper trails and email. If there had been any requests for any product sent by email, resend it to us again. We'll look at it. We'll pump it out. Um, and uh, you know what? Honestly, my company, I think, uh, the salespeople that we have and the customer service, they're, they're really experienced. Like they've been at the company for many, many years. So they can even run off things <laughs> off their memory, right? And purchase orders that come in, a lot of times these guys will print it out. Like my company burns through rainforests because of printing, right? Like they print, we are trying to actually stop that as well. We're trying to cut down costs on printing, but we print everything. And because of that, I think we were able to handle most of our big orders because everyone had paper trails and still email communications came back online and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I think in total about, I'd say seven days and company, we took a hit, but the senior staff handled it well and they were able to manage still. Out of everybody in the company, who do you think was the most affected by this? Yeah. Um, I actually think, um, Personally, myself, I think I was the most affected because um, because I, I think what I wanted to do was I wanted to grow in IT. I, wanted, I was on my path of like doing my certifications and I was trying to move up, maybe apply for other places. But when this happened, I realized that IT is a job, is a kind of career that you take home with you. That once you leave the office, your job isn't done. You might get calls, you might get hacked, people will have issues overnight. Um, I, I see your point. Um, one thing I would say is that's one of the main things that really separates a career position from uh, just having a day job because you know I worked as a grocery boy for a year and a half and aside from the people who uh, annoyed me or the good feelings that I left from good interactions, uh, that was a job where I would go in, put stuff on the shelf, help customers, and then I would go home. Um, and, and that's why I was only paid so much. I mean, some of where that career uh, income comes from, uh, other than the expertise and the work itself, is a person's willingness to allow for that work to become more embedded in mm -hmm. their life. Yeah. Um, I mean, ever since this happened and I, I realized that this is what IT is, um, I don't want to do it anymore. So I don't know if you know, but I'm actually in the process of a career change. So I think I I think I know what uh, the career is you're you're switching to, but you know we'll we can touch on that afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Where uh, I I've experienced uh, a, a lot of different work compositions. Ones like I was referring to earlier, where if I showed up and I did ninety two percent that day, it might not be as noticeable. Um, obviously, if as a freelancer, having been or I'm still a freelancer doing my own work, being my own boss is a very different effect. So are, are you looking for a position where you are the master of your own fate? Um, no, I think 
what I'm actually looking forward to is looking to do is something that is more, um, still has to be something that I enjoy, which I think I will enjoy. And I think part of the pleasure of it comes that, that once that I leave for the day, I don't take it home with me. And I think, I think life is too short to always worry about your job because ultimately a lot of people don't do what they love. Majority of people usually don't do what they love, right? And this is why a lot of people quit. Right now, I don't think I'm doing what I love. Um, I think what I'll love is the time off, time that I can spend with family and friends, time that I can spend traveling. So I need something that, I need a career that will supplement that. And IT is not that at all. Unless you're running your own IT company and where people are doing the work for you, it's not it. Um, you will take it everywhere with you. I have a lot of respect for people who work in IT. You really need a certain kind of brain chemistry to be able to do it. And if you're the kind of person that enjoys that kind of work, uh, I have nothing but praise for you. Uh, because there are different kinds of jobs that have different amounts of uh, joy capacities. Uh, I mean, I think a professional NBA player probably enjoys what they do because the act of playing basketball mm -hmm. is enjoyable. There's the joy of dribbling a ball, the joy of getting the ball in the hoop. There are actual yeah. um, releases for that kind of position, whereas I don't see that so much in IT. I mean, you're lucky if you even get a thank you. Unfortunately, because majority of people don't really understand computers, is that a lot of times that, that's not what happens. When you go into somebody's office, they're not appreciative because they think, oh, you should know IT. You should just come in here and fiddle a few things and everything should come back on. Like, what do they pay you for? They don't understand that it's a problem-solving job. Like, anything that happens requires time for us to problem-solve. You know, uh, just to tell you a quick story, there was someone that I was working with um, uh, not too long ago that I don't work with anymore. And what was what happened was we had this issue with the website where if an episode went over an hour, it wouldn't display, um, and which was an issue that I thought was relegated to one show, but it turns out it was happening on a different show. And the web designer was supposed to be the one that fixed it, but he, he couldn't fix it. It was beyond a skill set. So it fell to me to make some adjustments manually if it did happen. But I was... On my at my at my job at the time, and I'm getting these text messages, and I try to give instructions to fix it, um, and the, the person texting me just got ruder and ruder until they said, "What do I pay you for?" And the amount of money that I was making wasn't a lot, and the respect that I was getting wasn't very much at all. So you can bet your ass that if you say something like that, you can count on me to find uh, another uh, place to work uh, pretty quickly. Um, which, incidentally, I had done two weeks earlier. Uh, so much so that, quote, is now on my echopodcasting.com as a testimonial. It says, what do I pay you for, former client? <laughs> yep, yep. That, that, that sentence is a very, like, a, especially, like, I, I can understand if it's someone, very It's very disrespectful. Oh, very disrespectful. I can understand if someone's incompetent and you're telling them that, but if I'm here to help you with your computer that you have no idea even how it works, and you're calling me incompetent for that, then yeah, you don't deserve any respect. So, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. But yeah, what were you talking about? Oh, I uh, I was just uh, decompressing, I guess, because I mean, we're 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 essentially done. But uh, I'll give you one last chance in case there was anything else you wanted to get off your chest. Um, 
Uh, okay, as a final thought, I can I can say if anyone is still in IT and it still enjoys it and is looking for the way to go or the right place to go in IT, security is the way. Security is where the money is at and security is where the jobs are at. Um, a lot of people think developers is where it's at because everything requires a developer. That's not true. The developing market is very saturated. If you want a job and you want to get paid well in IT, security is the way to go. That's it. Awesome. <laughs> I, look, I, I've been like holding back some of my laughter, but again, just the imagery of the these these hackers counter hacking each other and shooting each other down. It, this is this, this is a dark show. I, I, I do go there sometimes. As far as uh, everything that was covered today, uh, I'm, I'm processing a lot of it, and I, I sort of get it in the same way that when I'm underwater, I can sort of see. Mm -hmm. So it, it's going to take a lot of more digging on my end, and it would also, yeah. I imagine, take a lot of digging for a lot of other people too. So uh, I hope that you can use this as a jumping-off point to look into this. Um, what I also want to do too is use this show as a cautionary tale for people. So you might be someone that I've linked this episode to because you might have a ghost chance of uh, experiencing some of what was experienced today. Um, it really, it really was uh, uh, amazing, and uh, and I and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk uh, with me today. My so uh, I will let you go, and for. The rest of you, uh, stick around for the housekeeping. Uh, there isn't too much to cover, but I'm going to do it anyways, because why not? Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the housekeeping. So, fun fact about this episode is that when we had done the initial recording, I screwed up the audio on my side. It was, it was fine, but not as good as it could be. And I, and I mean that in terms of the actual audio quality itself. My... Um, quality as a podcaster is uh, open to interpretation. Uh, essentially what happened is I have a microphone that I'm supposed to plug into the computer and then the computer has its own microphone and I was recording off the computer's microphone and not the $300 Zoom H2N which has the audio quality that you're listening to now. So I ended up re-recording all my lines as I was going through the editing of this. Did you notice? Did it seem weird to you? I, I'm curious. Feel free to write in. This is pod at protonmail.com. Other than that, once again, I just want to say thank you to my guest who was willing to come out and share the story. It really is truly one of the most amazing things that I was able to be a part of. And feel free to share this. Don't. I'm not going to ask you to share it the same way people always ask to share things. Like and subscribe. Do this, do that, and here's another. Just keep it in mind. And if you encounter someone who you think might be interested in hearing this story, send it to them. That's all I can really ask. Take care.